why do you come to church? Share with you a parable from a book. Nose and hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service, led by ear and mouth, had just ended. And Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose replied to Hand's news. Why? I don't know, Hand said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than the other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Hand's answer. If the Hands couldn't see that Nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church body in the right direction, the body could do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family and Minister of Music Ear meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are... More like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that didn't interest us. Nose looked at him with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Sure, sure, but it's, it's not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple months ago. It was great to have you. Oh, thank you, but everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, like you never wanted to get to work or get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on the east side. We hear, hear that they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But he again said that he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect this. No, he had never burst into an open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it, but the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had had an effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs were a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, but they finally decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition to all that, Mrs. Hand knew that their daughter, Pinky, was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her, she felt out of joint. Mrs. Hand then said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership. 
But the conversation had already run on too long for nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of their departure, then turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they didn't need him. I think Mr. and Mrs. Hand's attitude reflects how most America thinks about church. You come to church with a consumeristic mindset, that is, to get something. You go to church because it's about me and what I can get out of it. But this flies in the face of biblical Christianity because biblical Christianity doesn't ask, what can I get out of other people, but what can I give to other people? And, and Paul is going to argue for us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the way in which the church primarily serves one another is by showing the Holy Spirit to one another and the exercising of the Holy Spirit's gifts. That's our main idea this morning. The church shows the Holy Spirit by using the Spirit's gifts to build up the church. And our exhortation is going to follow on the heels of that. I want to encourage you to be the church to show the Holy Spirit by using your gifts to build up the church. I messed up on your outline. Word does this sometimes. Some of you got a five, six, seven, eight. That's supposed to be one, two, three, four. Uh, in case you were like, well, he left out the first four points. I don't know how it, it messed up my numbers. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're going to follow the outline. It's right there in front of you. We're going to talk about the confession of the Spirit, the diverse gifts of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. God, we ask that you would speak to us now. Humble our hearts, open our minds, help us to hear you. Remind us during this time of our need for you and our need for one another. Remind us that belonging to Jesus also means belonging to one another. God, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you that you have plunged our sins beneath the ocean of Christ's blood shed for us. Thank you that we can enjoy forgiveness and unity with one another. Help us to grow into Christ-likeness. Help us to be Christ-like people who seek not our own interests, but the interests of others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little context here. We have seen one of the major problems in the church at Corinth is divisions and factions. And this motif has started, it really permeates the whole letter. It started back in chapter 1. Remember, they were dividing along the lines of brand name teachers. And so they were going, I'm with Paul, and I'm with Apollos, and I'm with Cephas. We said that's similar to how we are like, we associate with brands, right? You know, I like Gucci, or I drive a Ford truck, right? They're dividing themselves based along the lines of what they associated themselves with, these particular teachers. Then in chapter 6, we see that they're divided as they file frivolous lawsuits against 
one another rather than just resolving it in and among themselves. In chapter 8, they're dividing themselves based upon who is strong and who is weak along the lines of conscience. Remember that whole section from chapters 8 to 11 is about eating meat offered to idols. And so they have the strong people are saying, we have all knowledge, but we understand that there's only one God and that idols aren't really anything. And so it's cool to eat the meat offered to idols. And then there are the other Christians who came out of a pagan background and they're going, when we eat this meat, we kind of feel guilty because this is what our, our sinful lifestyle used to look like. And the strong are going, no, 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 you're just weak, never mind. And Paul says, you need to be unified, you need to allow your behavior, your eating or not eating, to be governed by love, don't be divided. And then we see last week in chapter 11, at the end of it, we were eating the Lord's Supper, but they were dividing themselves along socioeconomic fault lines. The rich were being separated from the poor, so that when they were coming together, Paul said, you're not even eating the Lord's Supper, you're, you're doing something else. You're not honoring God in this. There was a difference in that chapter between the haves and the have-nots. We see that these divisions continue. They spill over into chapter 12 today as we again see that there is discord between the haves and the have-nots. This time it relates to spiritual gifts. Namely, the gift of tongues seems to have been elevated above all other spiritual gifts in Corinth. And so the question has become... What they're asking Paul in their previous letter is about spiritual things. They're going to ask, who is spiritual? Uh, the word in verse 1 that's translated spiritual gifts of chapter 12, uh, if you just brought that across very woodenly, it would be spirituals, whatever that means. Uh, but the context, I think they've got it right, would dictate that it comes across as spiritual gifts. And, and their question, if you'll allow me to reframe it or recast it in contemporary terms, might go something like this. Paul, who is it? that is spirit-filled among us. And Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Paul's point here is to say, let me answer your question. You want to know who it is that is spirit-filled among you? It is those who are confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's who is spirit-filled among you. He's drawing a contrast between unbelievers and believers. What he's not doing is giving us a kind of magic incantation, right? Uh, he's not saying, like I said, anybody, no one speaking from the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, right? I just said Jesus is cursed while I was reading the Word of God to you. It's not a magic incantation. Uh, or, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But I think you can even get a hold of the most militant atheist and say, hey, for $5, will you just say Jesus is Lord? And they'll probably comply, right? There are, there's not magic in these words. What he means is a true confession of faith a creed that lines up with one's conduct, a life that is in total submission to Jesus Christ as Lord, a life of a person who has taken the, the spotlight and taken it off of themselves and has begun to shine it on Jesus. This is, this is what I mean. 
Uh, if you've ever been around Washington, D.C., uh, you've probably driven on 395, maybe even at night. And if you've driven on 395 at night close to uh, the town, you can see, lit up in all of its glory, the Washington Monument. And what you probably never, ever think about is the hundreds and thousands of dollars that has been spent on all of those lights that are bringing illumination to that great ivory needle in the sky. See, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He shines the light on Jesus Christ. He brings attention to Jesus Christ so that when you are genuinely converted, you have the Holy Spirit. You begin to use your life to spotlight the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying this is the kind of person that is spirit-filled. The person that is Christ-centered. The person that has been truly converted, has repented of their sins, is repenting of their sins, and has believed in Jesus, and has put skin on that confession by being baptized and living a life that is in step with the Holy Spirit. He says you, you can know what a Christian looks like because they're putting the spotlight on Jesus. So here's the question for you. Have you been converted? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is your life leveraged to the end of making Jesus known? Paul says that the Spirit-filled person is the one who makes the confession of the Spirit, which is Jesus is Lord. And when you become converted, when you come to Christ, it's not that you've been made nice, a common misnomer. It's that you've been made new, right? Anybody can be nice, but niceness is just a way of, of self-salvation. It's a way of feeling good about yourself. I'm a good person. I'm, a, I'm nice to everybody. But the gospel tells us that our sins have earned the judgment of God, that we have earned the wrath of God, and that being nice won't do anything to fix that relationship. What we need is to be made new. We need to be made new, not nice. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we are converted. We recognize that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. That my life is not about me. It's about the glory of God. And so that spotlight moves from my life and it gets put on Jesus Christ because He is Lord of my life. The converted are the ones who have the Holy Spirit. The converted are the ones who have been made new. They're new people. And these new people are also equipped with new gifts from the Spirit. Look at these diverse gifts from the Holy Spirit in verses 4 through 11. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. There's a little Trinitarian hat tip there, if you see it. Verse 4, gifts from the Spirit, same Spirit, gifts from the same Lord. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, shorthand. And then in verse 6, the same God, as in God the Father. You see there's unity and diversity even here at the front end. And within, with there's unity and diversity within the Trinitarian God of Christianity. 
Paul continues in verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the one Spirit. Do you see this same Spirit, same Spirit, one Spirit? There is a diversity of gifts, but there is a oneness of purpose. Same Spirit, one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Uh, First thing I want to point out here is this is one of six lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And all of these lists have different things in them. Some of them are the same, but they don't ever follow the same order. And what we find is oftentimes uh, you find things as uh, miraculous as what, gifts of healings, right next to things like administration, right? And so I think we miss what happens when we come to a text like this is everybody goes, what spiritual gift do I have, you know? But that's, that's not the right response, as we'll see in a second. Like the right response is, is not to go home and to Google a spiritual gift inventory test. And, All right, I took this kind of like a Myers-Briggs deal, and so here are my spiritual gifts, and here's how I need to serve. That's not, not the point of the text. Paul's actually getting ready to rebuke them very, very kindly. But he's going to rebuke them nonetheless because they've been misusing the spiritual gifts to put that spotlight back on themselves rather than on Christ. They've been glorifying themselves and glorifying the gifts above the God that they are meant to bring honor to. These chapters have to go together, 12 and 13 and 14. It's a unit. And we'll talk details about some of these gifts later, Uh, uh, not this sermon. (laughs) But when we get to chapter 14, uh, there's another list, and we'll talk about some of the details there. Uh, But Paul isn't isn't concerned with the details. What what he wants you to know is there's a diversity of gifts. And then in verse 7, I think, is key to understanding this whole section. He says this, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. First thing to recognize, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. God, listen, this is an incredible verse, God shows himself in each Christian. You get that? The God of the universe, because the Holy Spirit is one member of the Godhead, shows himself in you. It's, it's It's not like a picture of him. It is him showing himself through you. Like, if you are a Christian, you are a translucent glory house, right? You are like a, a lighthouse and your little window in that lighthouse and the light of the glory of God bursts forth from you and through you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Shows Himself. Now notice the second part. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Each person has a certain aspect of God that shines forth from them. Listen, the church is how the fullness of God is known. 
Look, Ephesians 1, verse 22. And God subjected everything under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and appointed him as head over everything for the church. And here it is, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. God is known in community. You want to know the fullness of God? Ephesians later says, the church is also the manif- how the manifold wisdom of God is made known. You want to know the wisdom of God? Be a part of his church. Each is given a gift. And no one is omni-gifted. We are dependent upon one another. Uh, you can drop down to verse 28 to, to see this truth. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating. That's everybody's favorite gift. Uh, various kinds of tongues or languages. And then verse 29. Are all apostles, these are rhetorical questions, they assume the answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues or languages? No. Do all interpret? No. What does this mean? It means that we are dependent upon one another in our Christian life for our health and our growth. We are dependent upon one another to see the fullness of Christ. What it means for us is that every member of the church needs to be involved in ministry. Every member. And it also means that no one in the church should be doing everything, right? Everybody does something, nobody does everything. You've probably heard of churches or been in churches where it's like the pastor is paid to do all the ministry, right? And so uh, any, anything ministry-wise that goes on, any program, the pastor is there and the pastor needs to lead it. That kills churches. Not just pastors. If there's one person in the church that like, they're the per- they run things, they do everything, that kills the church because no one is omni-gifted. There, there are no superhero Christians, right? We need each other. We need each other to see God's fullness, to experience the the blessings that God has for us in community here. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is how God shows Himself through His church. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. It's our good. That's what builds up the church, is our living out, our exercising of these gifts in our lives. And so here's the question for you again. Brother, where do you need to be involved in ministry? Sister, where do you need to stop being involved in ministry? For all of us, the question is, do I belong to the body in in a real way? Because that's what Christ has called me to. That's where Jesus has said I'm going to grow and flourish is in a community with his people. Belonging to Jesus means belonging to 
his people, his body. There are many gifts, they are diverse, but they work together for the same purpose. The, the body of Christ does not make, it's not an echo chamber of white noise. It is an orchestra that, that plays songs that are, have harmonies in them to the glory of God. We are, the, the Spirit-filled are those that have been made new in Christ, that have been given a new gift in Christ, and are called to the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Uh, baptism here is just a synecdoche. It's a fancy word that means it, it's a part that represents the whole. And so baptism here is talking about the whole conversion experience. He's saying, you all know what it's like to receive the Holy Spirit, to confess that Jesus is Lord, to be baptized, and then to be participating in the church. And, and it is the same Spirit that unites you. So also in Christ, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one Spirit to drink. I love this. It's the idea of being full with the Spirit, controlled with the Spirit. And Ephesians 5 tells us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. I always love to put my own twist on it and say, you, you should be drunk in the Spirit, Christian. That should be what's controlling your behavior and so I think he's saying, you know what it's like to be converted to Christ and to have your whole life controlled by Christ? Indeed, verse 14, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. This is key, listen so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Let's go back to, to verse 18. God has arranged each one of the parts in the body as he 
wanted. Each member has a gift. Each member shows the Spirit in a unique way. And they play the part that God wants. He's arranged the body. And so there are two things here. First, that means you need to embrace your gifting. And I meant to mention this earlier, but I forgot. You don't have to do a spiritual gifts test and like figure out what your gift is because you're probably already using it. If you've been, been a part of a church and you've been around people, the things that, that the Spirit is doing in you, they don't always have a very specific word. The way that the Spirit is shining forth from you, sometimes you can be completely ignorant to that. You need to embrace the gift you have. And the greatness of the gift is not measured in what exactly that spiritual gift is, but in how it strengthens the body, how it builds up. I'm going to prove that to you a little bit more later. But I want you to see this, this first, embrace how God has placed you in the body. The second thing I want you to see is that you should not cut yourself off from the body. To cut yourself off from the local church is to torture the body of Christ and to rob yourself of life. I've shared this story a couple times, but I'll share it again. Uh, when I was younger, and I don't remember how old I was, my dad was cutting up ham, and he was using an unserrated knife for whatever reason. And you can tell where this is going. Uh, but as he was cutting the knife, it slipped and it severed the top part of his finger away from the rest of his hand, right? What my mom did was she grabbed that finger and she filled a little Ziploc baggie with ice, put the finger in the bag, zipped it up. We drove to the hospital. And you know what happened when we got to the hospital, to my amazement? They, they sewed it right back on. When they reattached my father's finger, it, it, it regained functionality and vitality. I mean, you can't even tell that it happened today. I think likewise, the Christian that is cut off from the body of Christ is dying. They're on ice. They've lost functionality and vitality. And they need to be reattached. They need to be brought back in. Now listen, if you're like me, there have probably been seasons of your life where uh, you did one of two things. Was you, you didn't come to church at all because just Jesus and me is cool. Again, that's not Christianity. It's Jesus and we. Or you attended church in such a way as to make yourself invisible or to not really be committed so that you didn't have to mess with all those messy people. That's not good for you. It's not not healthy. Here's the first application. If you know someone that is not a member in a local church that's not committed and they're a Christian, challenge them to return and to plant their lives somewhere, whether here or elsewhere. Tell them that part of growing in Christ is being around your annoying brothers and sisters, right? It's being inconvenienced by people that are different than you. Uh, a great way to start this, if you want to be less subtle than come to church and join a church. Uh, the book I read from at the beginning, there's a stack of them back there for free. Take two of them and find your friend and say, hey, let's read through this book together. Like You could read this bad boy in an afternoon, two or three hours, or you could say, let's take a chapter a week and just work through this. And challenge them to belong, 
to take hold of the life and the power that God has for them. The church is an essential part of the Christian life. You can't take Jesus and reject the rest of his family. You can't take Jesus and reject his bride. To belong to Jesus is to belong to his people. The church is essential. And the church is the primary way that God has chosen to work in the world. To cut yourself off from the church is to cut yourself off from access to God's power. Think of it like this. If you, if you get an itch, like on your elbow, what happens, right? Elbow sends a signal up through this wiring in your body that gets to your brain, and the brain goes, elbow's got an itch. And the brain doesn't shoot out this, like, you know, telepathic shockwave and just makes your arm stop itching. What it does is it sends a signal over here to the fingers, said, look, got an itch on the elbow, take care of that. And the fingers go over. Itch is taken care of. Jesus is the head of the church, and when he wants to work in the world, he uses his hands and his feet. He uses the members of his body. He uses the church. And when you cut yourself off from the church, you are cutting yourself off from access to God's power. And so, uh, you see it all the time, people, they, they don't belong to a church, they, they claim Christ, and then they, they want to know. God, they ask, God, give me wisdom, I have a decision in my life I need to make, I, I don't know what to do. And it's as if God says, I've given you counselors to speak wisdom into your life, they're in the church. Or, or God, I, I don't have money to make rent this month, I, I, need, my, I need a financial miracle, God. And God says, I've given you your miracle. It's members of the church. They're there to share your burden with you. Or the person that says, God, I'm so lonely. I need community. And God says, I've I've given you community. It's called the church. The person that says, "I I need encouragement. God says, I've given you encouragers. They're in the church. God, I need you to to show me yourself. And God says, I have in the church. He says, my fullness is known in my church through my word and through my people. I've given a manifestation of my Holy Spirit to each person for the common good, for your building up, for the strengthening of your faith. You want to experience God's power? Join a church. Join a church. And listen, (laughs) you'll find this out especially if you plant your life here. God uses imperfect churches. We we are imperfect, but still, verse 7 is true of us. God shows His Spirit in us and, and through us. You think of it a little bit like this. There, there are certain parts of people that only other people can bring out. You ever experienced this? You have friends. Uh, I think of, for example, my wife. Uh, just Before we had kids, there were parts, like parts of her I just didn't know, right? 
but there are ways that my kids just bring, you know, Chelsea out more than, than I saw her before we had kids, right? Like there, there are these sweet secret smiles that are just for my kids that I get to see. The, this delight in them that you can't explain, you know. Or uh, uh, areas of where I thought, you know, I don't know that Chelsea's patient or nurturing, but she's both of those things. Most of you are going, well, you could have learned that with yourself. She's patient and nurturing with you. But, but my kids, I, I see them bring that, those things out of her. Likewise, each member of the body of Christ shines the light on Jesus in a different way. They help us to see and to know God a little bit more. They bring our attention to God's character and attributes in ways that we otherwise might not see. They shine the spotlight on Jesus. They show the Spirit in a unique way for our good. I mean, this whole enterprise of Jesus' body is meant for our good. It's meant for building us up. It's meant for unity so that but when we suffer, we don't suffer alone, but we, we suffer together. And that when we rejoice, we don't rejoice alone, we rejoice together. And you ever try to have a party by yourself? If you're an introvert like me, that can be fun. But typically, it, it's pretty lame. Verse, verse 26, I love it. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I love, this is an encouraging verse for me, and it should be uh, for you too if you're a member here. I, I can think of many ways that we've suffered well together. Many ways that we've rejoiced well together. Uh, I've probably shared this too many times, but I, it, it I always sticks out to me. I always get more emotional than I think. I've got to remember that. Uh, but when Chelsea and I miscarried a couple years ago, I just will never forget preaching and, and Carrie wrapping me in a hug and then people bringing food and, and sending cards and, and walking with us through that trial. And on the rejoicing side, I mean, just recently, uh, we've been able to rejoice with Judy uh, as her heart procedure went well. We got to rejoice with Linda. She's got a new kidney and, and things are functioning well. It's awesome. That's, that's unity. That's what God has called us to do, to celebrate Jesus together in community, to delight in his goodness, give him glory for the good things in our life, and to suffer well and trust him in the darkness together. There are two threats to this unity, though. Two threats that I want to point out. First one is envy, and we see it exemplified in verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Well, what's going on here when these body parts are communicating their dissatisfaction? You can, just, you can hear it, can't you? Because I don't have this or that particular spiritual gift, I'm unimportant. I'm insignificant. Because I don't do this ministry, I don't matter. And, and you can hear the idolatry underneath of it, right? 
if only I had this or that particular spiritual gift, then I would matter. This undermines the gospel. Jesus is what makes you matter. The Holy Spirit is what makes you matter. Envy. I want someone else's gift. The second one is arrogance. You can see it in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. This is a person that says, I have all the gifting I need right here. The eye cannot see its need for anyone else. But I'll tell you the truth. A body that is made up of one part is a monster. Right? Y'all have seen Monsters, Inc. It's true. Right? When Mike Wazowski is just like an eyeball and some legs. It's a monster. We need each other. The body is one body, it's diverse, it has many different giftings, but we, we need each other. And these gifts, these roles that we play, are not aimed at bringing glory to ourselves. This is where the envying person and the arrogant person go wrong. Because what, what they're doing is they are taking that spotlight that they've put on Jesus in their confession, and they're starting to put it back on themselves. They're making it about their wants and their needs and their glory and their reputation. I want to be honored because I have that gift. I am being honored because I have this gift. No, that's not the point of the spiritual gifts. The point of the spiritual gift is that the Spirit would be shown in God's church that the spotlight would be illuminating Jesus Christ for us in such a way that we are led to a deeper appreciation of Him, a deeper love for Him. When we are self-seeking, because that's what envy and arrogance are, we begin seeking our own wants and desires, that's self-seeking, we have lost the way of the gospel. We are misusing gifts if we are seeking them to bring attention to ourselves. Paul says here, or he's getting ready to say in chapter 13, the same thing he said back in chapter 8, verse 1. Remember 8, verse 1? Knowledge builds up. I'm sorry, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I think we just say here in a minute, he's going to say, spiritual gifts puff up, but love builds up. The Christian life is governed by love to the end of building one another up. Chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. 10:24. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. 10:31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of the many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Chapter, seven, or chapter 12, verse 7. Manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good, to build up 
if you want to jump ahead into chapter 14, look at verse 12. So also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Chapter 14, verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything, I'll say it again, everything is to be done for building up. The spiritual gifts are to build up the church. They are to strengthen one another's faith. They are to show the glory of God's Holy Spirit to one another. They are to shine the light of um, praise onto Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 13. It comes on the heels of this body metaphor. If I speak in human or angelic tongues... I have a really great spiritual gift. But do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and I give my body over to the flames, this is just a way to say to boast. He's going to make a boast about that. But do not have love, I gain Nothing. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Here it is. Love does not envy. It does not say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It doesn't say, I have no need of you. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. To be self-seeking, to utilize a spiritual gift to turn the spotlight of your life away from Christ and onto yourself is to undermine the gospel completely. To seek yourself is un-Christ-like. It is anti-Jesus. Jesus, who showed us exactly how to do this, who modeled for us that Philippians 2 mindset, who considered others more significant than himself, who put the interests of others ahead of his own interests as he went to the cross where thorns splintered his head, where nails pierced his hands and his feet, where whips ripped apart his flesh, where a spear was plunged into his side. Friends, Jesus was torn apart so that we could live together. Not just with him, but with one another. When you become a Christian, you become adopted into the family of God. You have brothers and sisters that you've got to get to loving. It is the love of Jesus that compels us to love one another as He has loved us. So why do you come to church? Is it to get or is it to give? The church 
shows the Holy Spirit by using the Spirit's gifts to build up the church. We use the Holy Spirit's gifts to see, we get to see God in one another. We get to glorify God more because we strengthen one another's faith with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is staggering that God chooses to dwell within you and I as individuals and within us corporately as a church. It is to our shame if we don't take advantage of this great blessing, if we don't tap into this extraordinary power of God that is at our fingertips. Let us together be the church to be the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, and to raise victorious over death so that by faith in him we can have hope, certain hope, living hope, that we too shall rise. Thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters. Thank you for the church through whom we get to see your manifold wisdom, through whom we get to see your fullness. God, we thank you for your word and your people. Thank you for these wonderful ways that you show us just a little bit more of who you are, just a little bit more of your astounding beauty. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are good. You are worthy of praise, worthy of honor, worthy of our life, our souls, our all. Will we repent afresh this morning of taking the crown off of your head and trying to put it on ours, trying to be lords of our own lives? We repent, Lord. We submit ourselves to you anew. We enjoy your new mercies afresh. We enjoy your grace once more together this morning. And to you, we sing in response. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.